Hello and welcome to the Isakos podcast. Today we have another Isakos webinar, Robotic Assisted Knee Arthroplasty. Remember, if you're an Isakos member, you already have access to the full video version of this webinar for free on Global Link. And if you're not a member and still want to check out the video version, you can go to isakoscom slash global link slash subscribe to find out more info. Now, let's get to the webinar. Please enjoy Robotic Assisted Knee Arthroplasty. Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this ISACOS webinar series presentation on robotics in total knee arthroplasty. I'm Miles Kulikan from Sydney, and I work with ISACOS as the Deputy Chair of the Knee Arthroplasty Committee. And along with my colleagues, Sebastian Lustig from France and Sam Mathetic from the United Kingdom, we'll be your moderators for today's webinar, which will be recorded. I'd like to introduce you to our distinguished webinar panelists, Mark Clapworthy from New Zealand, President of Isacos, Willem Vandermeer from South Africa, Andrew Price from the United Kingdom, David Figueroa from Chile, Philip Naray from France, John Kun Sung from the Republic of Korea, and from Australia, David Parker, Christopher Chilo, and Stephen Graves. Our topic today is robotics in knee arthroplasty. It's with much gratitude that we thank our sponsors, Diffuse Synthes and Zimmer Biomet. We're taking questions from those who are participating live via the webinar Q&A icon, and I encourage you to use this. With that, let's begin. Our first speaker is Mark Clatworthy from New Zealand, who will speak on the benefits of robotic knee surgery, and in particular, what robotic surgery offers <coughs> over computer navigation and conventional knee arthroplasty. Good morning, Mark. Thank you, Miles, and welcome from Auckland, New Zealand. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to talk about the benefits robotic surgery offers versus NAV and conventional. So what I've done is put up a benefit wish list. We'd like to have increased accuracy and precision, reduction in soft tissue damage, debatable whether haptics is required, improved interoperative feedback of alignment and soft tissue balancing to be faster, cheaper, maybe with time with better outcome and a lower failure rate. But most importantly, we want better outcome and satisfaction. So I think it's important to appreciate that a knee replacement's not only about the bone and alignment. That's been our obsession for the last 30 years but the knee has a significant soft tissue envelope that drives the kinematics. And with robotics, we now have the ability to evaluate this much better. So we look at total knee surgical technique. This was pioneered by John Insull and Michael Freeman in the late 1970s. They used a balance technique, looking at the ligaments. The extension gap was balanced by ligament releases. The flexion gap was balanced with a spacer. The mechanical alignment measured resection technique was popularized in the late 1990s due to the difficulty in releasing ligaments accurately and the development of surgical instrumentation to simplify total technique. So such things as the sizer, which applied three degrees of external rotation became very popular as it was easier. So the premise of this technique is the tibia is always in three degrees of varus so as, you as the tibia is cut at zero, 
The femur is thus externally rotated three degrees to enable a balanced flexion gap. If not, you release the ligaments. So the big change in the late 1990s was the Innsville Freeman technique linked and balanced the femur and tibia, where the measured resection cut the femur and tibia independently with the hope they will marry up and have not released the ligaments. So this technique presumes that every knee is the same. So does it make sense for us to put every implant in the same? If you look at these 15 random patients of mine and look at the bony architecture of their face, it's widely variant. But not only that, they have a big difference in their soft tissue laxity. So of course, every knee is not the same. And there've been a number of studies now evaluating this. This is the biggest study looking at 4,884 CT scans. And they showed that only 4% of patients have a neutral tibial laxus, 5% a neutral femoral mechanical axis, and only one in a thousand have a neutral axis. So if you're aiming for neutral, congratulations, you're getting it right one in a thousand times. So we are really now questioning whether neutral mechanical axis is necessary. And this based on old studies showing early failure in varus with old implants, limited sizes, bad poly, small numbers, and in particular short x-rays, which are not accurate. The game changer was the paper out of the Mayo in 2010, looking at 15-year data, 18 looking at 20-year data, and then in fact shows that three to six degrees out were in fact had slightly better, but not significantly better survival than those at neutral. In 2012, Johan Bellemans coined the term constitutional varus and proposed that a neutral mechanical axis may distort knee kinematics. And he showed this in his 2013 paper that those patients in varus who had mildly undercorrected had a better knee society and Womack score. And then you look at comparative navigation studies aiming for a neutral mechanical axis, they've shown improved accuracy, but no improvement in outcome. And if you think about it, when every knee is different, we try and make them even more the same, it's no surprise there's no improvement in outcome. The biggest study comes from our New Zealand registry looking at 19,221 triathlons, comparing measured resection mechanical alignment navigator technique versus conventional. And you'll see here the six month, five year and 10 year Oxford scores, almost exactly the same and no difference in survival. But we replicated the study using brain lab navigation. This is different where you balance the flexion gap and these patients had a neutral mechanical axis. We, called, we compared 2,847 conventional versus 314 brain lab navigated and showed a significantly better Oxford score at six months and five years with a navigated balance technique. In 2014, a brain lab released version three this was quite revolutionary. It enables us to really intraoperatively evaluate the soft tissue envelope where you get a balance curve. So you can determine where your implant lies and the balance consequence of this. Enables you to have a balanced extension gap, to have a balanced medial flexion gap. I think it's quite well accepted now. We like the MCL to be equally tensioned through a full range of motion so we can balance our medial gap. And we like to have slight laxity and flexion to enable lateral rollback of the femur to replicate normal kinematics. So we're now able to plan our knee 
with the balanced consequence. So where the robot comes in is every robotic company has now adopted this balancing approach and technique. So both Mako, Rosa, Omnibot, Velus, the new Depew robot, and Navio have the ability for you to use this. So the real benefit and potential game changer is the interoperative assessment of the soft tissue envelope, which enables the surgeon to implant it totally anatomically with small positional changes to enable it totally to perform in its natural soft tissue envelope. The early robotic studies are encouraging. The work of Farah Sadad with three-month study, comparative studies showed reduced pain, physio visits, length of stay, and improved flexion. A recent study with one-year data showed increased patient satisfaction, 94% versus 82%, improved knee society scores at one year with decreased length of stay. But the issues at the moment with these studies, they're short-term and have small numbers. However, we have been using this technique with BrainLab now for seven years. So we've got quite a lot of longer-term data. This is a recent study completed from the New Zealand Joint Registry. We compared 2001 conventional attunes with 697 using a cast-balanced approach. We show a significantly greater Oxford score. In particular, we're halving the number of poor scores. When we look at our five-year data and compare this technique with the average knee, uni, and hip, we see a greater Oxford score. So 40.5 for the average total knee done in New Zealand, 41.4 for the average uni, 42.4 for the average hip, and using this balanced navigated technique, it's 44.7. So we've managed to have one-third of the number of fair and poor scores compared to hip and uni, and one quarter using compared to conventional total knee. If we look at patient satisfaction, look at studies over the last 30 years, it's really been around 80%. Despite the massive improvements in the technology and spend on implant improvement, we've seen no difference in patient satisfaction. And it's my belief that we've been trying to put in every knee the same. Now, if we vary this, we see a significant improvement. So our five-year patient satisfaction, relief of pain, 97.1% satisfied, ability to perform activities, 96.8, work and sport, 84.6, and meeting expectations, 96.5. 96% would have the operation again. We asked the patient how normal their knee feels, zero, abnormal, 100, normal, 86 out of 100, and 94.9 out of 100 for satisfied. So to conclude, the robotic benefits the surgeon by giving them an intraoperative assessment of the bony architecture and soft tissue envelope of the knee. Precise bony cuts with soft tissue envelope evaluation allows the surgeon to accurately implant the total knee with their desired alignment and balance. Early studies show improved outcome. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Mark. It was great. Now, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Prof. Willem Vandermeer, our uh, ISACOS president from Cape Town. Please, Willem. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Sebastian, and thank you to Miles and Sam for putting this together. <clears throat> it's a really a pleasure for me to, uh, to take part in this. So I have to talk about barriers, costs, and complications. Starting to feel a bit like the old man, you're always, uh, always looking at the, the downside of things. 
So my no conflict of interest, I have to say that I'm, uh, I use the Smith & Nephew Navier system and that's the only system that I'm familiar with, but I have no uh, agreement with them or don't receive any money from the company. My first time that I came across robots is I listened to Johan Bellemans gave a talk about robot assisted total knee arthroplasty and it was a beautiful talk and I, I love these things and I thought this is going to be great and at the end of the talk he put up a slide saying due to extremely high operational costs has led to abandonment of this procedure. So that was in uh, this article was in 2007. I think the talk was even before that. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about cost. I'm not going to really talk about radiation exposure, pin and soft tissue. I think everybody can go and look at the literature. I'm going to look at operative time and I'm just going to make sure that the learning curve we want to know what the learning curve is like doing these robotic surgeries. So cost-effective, is this operation cost-effective? And the short answer is no. I don't think we can say that yet because we know that there's increase in price, the device costs a lot of money, software, disposables, additional imaging, training, all of these are, are cost. The time that we'll have to say that it's cost available, as, as Klatz has said, if we can bring down the revision rate and if we can have less hospital stay and better clinical outcome. I think at the moment it's still a bit early, the studies are early, but we're all hoping that putting them in better and all the benefits that we talk about, but we can't really prove this yet. So I think what's dangerous is that at the moment, the perceived benefits are in the marketing and getting, much, and getting more numbers and more patients. If you're not doing robotic surgery, and I think that's what the hospitals, certainly in South Africa, the hospitals and the companies are saying, listen, We'll spend this money because we're going to get more patients and therefore that's justified, but that doesn't work because somebody else is paying for it. So I think we have to be careful what, are, what the real benefits are from robotic surgery. And these are the things that we don't want to see. This is Africa's first robotic knee operation. Not true, driven by the hospital. This is from the Times of India. You know, it's changed the game of futuristic authentic care. This was March of this year. I think we have to guide against statements like that. So I think we wonder really what's important to surgeons is the learning curve. Now, how many times do we have to do this before we uh, can do it well and consistent? What is the time that we do them in? And when you look at the learning curve, you have to look at different stuff and what is the, what is the workflow for the, for the staff? So this is a good paper in uh, KSSTA by the group from Haddad. And really he said the implementation of robotic arm assisted TKA Led to increase operative time and heightened levels of anxiety amongst the surgical team for about seven cases. I, but, uh, so not too long, but it's not, it wasn't clear how we got there, but that's quite short. But what I think what's more important is that right from the start, it doesn't seem that this learning curve, although it takes a bit longer, the, the, the procedure was still very good for the, the implant, was done well, it was less, there wasn't complications. So I think that's very, that's very, uh, promising that we are, we are not putting in a few bad before we can put them in. It's only the operative time. Young Victor uh, published this as more of a systemic, uh, systematic review. And he defined it a bit better that the learning experience can be reported as the number of cases which should be performed in order to reach the inflection point for a specific outcome. So it's when it's gone from the learning phase to the proficiency phase, and really a little bit the same in TKA, he said between seven and 20 cases, if you look at operating time. But again, 
The UKA, a little bit more, between six to 36 cases. But again, I think one of the studies said that the first case, but I mean, one case wasn't good. So again, the same kind of trend. It takes a bit of time, it's some anxiety, but it doesn't seem that the, we have to do a few bad surgeries before seems to everybody gets some spot on from the start. And I think that's a very important point. So I'm just gonna give you my own experience, uh, as I say, using the Navigate system. When I started, I, uh, I said, there's no extra cost. I, I wasn't gonna start with that. And we use these reusable, if you look at this, we use these reusable uh, uh, probes and I think that, that's made a difference. For me, I want to make this, I use it in all cases. So I think that you, to become the standard, my staff knows if I have a two TK, all the systems are there. And I think that's the way to go because the worst thing is if they work or not work. So I think you try and get it in there all the time. The one thing I have to say is I don't trust this 100% and it must make sense. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. I think the data is very important. And I think one thing that we still have to build into this is checks and balances. I think surgeons, we always checks and balance what we do. And I'm not sure the system does that enough. I must say for myself, I did both of them. I'm not so sure what the advantages of the robot is, but perhaps after this, listening to the other guys, I'll be uh, enlightened. And the ligament balancing, before I started this, I did a lot of ligament balancing with tensioners and all, and all of that. And somehow I'm not so sure, it gives me an idea, but I don't trust the ligament balancing, the exact numbers. I think there's still time to do there. And these are algorithms. I think we have to realize that the robot doesn't think like we do. It just is one algorithm and it takes everything for fact. So the one uh, barrier is that if you don't know how to do knee replacement, you think the robot's going to do it for you. I think that's really dangerous. So I am a little bit skeptical and we did a cadaver study to compare Navier with CAS. It's the brain lab system really. We took a knee with no pathology, absolutely none. And we did both systems, different positions and the two systems gave us not big differences, but they gave us different sizes and slightly different positions between Navio and CAS. What we then did is we created a defect, we simulated where, and again, there was different positions, even between the systems. So for the first and the second system, the CAS and the Navio slightly gave you a different way where to put your, your uh, prosthesis in. Then we cut the medial collateral ligament, created a ligament imbalance, and the same again. So this is a great system and I think it's gonna go, I mean, I think this is the future, but the system doesn't know. It doesn't know when the ligament is gone and I think we need to have better data and more data. And for me, the biggest barrier is to believe this system completely, use it as a marketing tool. I think we're gonna get in trouble. So I'm still waiting for the company to explain the algorithms and the morphing. I have to understand that before I go forward. I think we need better data. We really need more data and better data. And now when I do the surgery, I, when I cut, when the, 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 the robot tells me I'm cutting off six millimeters, I go and measure it. And sometimes it's not the same. There's always a little bit different, one or two millimeters either way. We need machine learning. I think these machines have to learn what, you know, from the data. But the big thing that I think we need is artificial intelligence. We need more data and we don't just need data from the anatomy. I think when we start putting in how much the patient weighs, how much they run, what their soft tissue is like, what they, 
all of these things, their psychological profile, I think we're going to really get there. And hopefully I'll see you in uh, Cape Town next year in November. Everybody's very welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Willem. As, as usual, uh, you come up with a whole lot of information and you give us some ideas of where we could get better. That, that was most enjoyable. So our next speaker is Andrew Price, Professor of Orthopaedic Surgery from the University of Oxford and consultant knee surgeon at the Nuffield Orthopaedic Centre. And Andrew's going to speak to us on surgical techniques and benefits of the ROSA for total knee arthroplasty. Good morning and thank you, Andrew. Thanks very much. I'd like to extend um, my thanks to Isikos for putting this together and to the uh, key guys on the arthroplasty committee for their commitment. Um, it's a great honor to be able to do this. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, the ROSA um, uh, application for total knee replacement. Um, this came into the Nuffield Orthopaedic Centre about 18 years ago, and um, I've been involved with the assessment of the total knee application um, for Zimmer Biomet um, in Europe. Um, it's a, uh, uh, an application first designed uh, for total knee replacement, now branching into unicompartmental replacement. Um, but the platform has some key features which I think um, make it a very usable um, and um, adaptable technique. It's surgeon controlled workflow. Uh, there's integrated planning. We'll talk about that. There's increased accuracy of bony cuts and alignment. And there's this soft tissue feedback um, component that you've already heard the guys talking about. And the system is very um, adaptable. At, at the heart of this, the surgeon remains in control. Uh, the workflow is based around the surgeon with the robot assisting the surgeon. There are multiple options. Um, it is time optimized in terms of a robotic technique um, and that control issue, I think, with the surgeon at the center of the application is, is really critical. If we work, go through the workflow, there's an integrated planning system. This is 2D to 3D based around x-rays, so this really has an easy workflow application. Recent studies we've completed show that that's accurate uh, and that really allows you to avoid the um, uh, use of CT or um, MRI scans. So it's, it's a, this is a really neat system and it's the way into ROSA. Um, you take that after you've done your planning and of course in set the setup, the workflow for the, uh, the team, uh, the usability is easy. Um, this doesn't dominate the operating room. Um, there was a learning curve for the operating staff to be able to use this and for the surgeons to use it, uh, which again was a relatively small number of cases, as you've seen evidenced in other studies. The workflow is, is highly adapted um, around the surgeon. It's understandable. It makes um, the learning uh, and pace of the operation really very straightforward. And uh, I think this aspect of, of this platform is done extremely well. It starts with rigid body placement and registration. This is a fairly standard um, application and again reminds really of navigation, but it's um, all of the things we've learned from that um, really we can use here and it's a relatively straightforward process. We then start to have immediate soft tissue feedback um, in the evaluation screen where you can get direct feedback on the soft tissue tension. Um, you can override to predetermined alignments. So in other words, you can do this um, without this, you could just be a mechanically aligned um, surgeon, or in fact, you could do it as an image-less um, application as well. But at its best, I think we're using these feedbacks. Um, it's a femur-first uh, system, so you deploy the femoral cutting jig 
Um, and after you've made your uh, planned resection, uh, you bring the cutting jig in, um, that's an application which the surgeon is uh, under, that's all under the control of the surgeon. Uh, the resections are made, and then you have uh, screens to be able to val validate your resection. So the whole time you're getting real-time feedback about the application. There is extreme accuracy of the bony cuts. It's a robotically positioned cutting block. The surgeon controls the cut, but it's still precise and reproducible because the, um, it's highly reproducible with the robotic um, assistance in positioning um, the uh, cutting block. So that's the distal femur and then the four in one block as well. And there's good evidence now um, that uh, with this particular platform, it's a, an accurate um, system. Your next part of the workflow is to move on to the tibial cut um, and really flexion space planning. You go back to the um, planning screen and you're gathering information about the soft tissue tension with your planned um, components and the cuts that you've made. Um, it's adaptable. This could be mechanically allied. You could adopt measured resection, gap balancing. You can have a kinematic centered or kinematically aligned process, or you can deal with very complex deformities uh, it's totally adaptable to, to how you want to uh, perform surgery. It is highly accurate in terms of our ability to achieve um, what we set out to do. And I think that's one of the key features for me. So, um, so that's a very rapid run through of the workflow and the benefits. But I would say in this platform, we have integrated planning, surgery is in, in control in the theater with a very easy workflow. Um, you have the benefit of accuracy of bony cuts, soft tissue feedback, an adaptable system, and the excellent workflow, I think, um, optimizes this uh, for time efficiency. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Andrew. It was a very nice five minutes presentation of, uh, of the system. You know, it was challenging and you, you did it so well. Uh, now it's uh, the turn of uh, Professor David Figueroa from the Facultad de Medicina Clinica Alemana Universidad de, de San Rolo in Chile. And uh, David will uh, give us his uh, experience with a uh, different system of robotics. David. Uh, thank you. Uh, very well present presented presentation. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, I would like to thank Miles and Sebastian for the kind invitation to participate in this uh, webinar. I will talk about the surgical technique and benefits uh, of MAKO for titanium arthroplasty, uh, my disclosures. Uh, MAKO is a, a system for uni and total knee replacement. It's a semi-active system uh, with uh, aptic feedback uh, with many potential uh, benefits that, that I will try to explain in the next presentation. Uh, this robotic system works in a in a personal uh, excuse me. Uh, this robotics uh, system works in a personal uh, patient-based uh, planning in which uh, a 3D model uh, on the of the surgical uh, knee is obtained through a POP CT scan, uh, based on the mechanical axis in the coronal, sagittal, and transverse uh, plane. The, the position of the uh, each implant are established. Um, Regarding the OR uh, patient and setup, the surgeon and robot are placed uh, uh, lateral to the operating knee. Uh, the camera stand with the receptor antenna and the guidance module for the intra navigation uh, are placed in the contralateral side. And under general anesthesia, patient is placed on supine and the tourniquet uh, is used as the surgeon preference. Uh, the extremity is placed uh, in a specific deck holder, which is designed to permit the uh, 
correct mobilization to interact with the uh, robotic arm during the, the surgery. Uh, I use a standard uh, middle uh, approach uh, follows by a medial parapetellar uh, approach for joint exposure. This is not different of the conventional uh, surgery. Once the, the bony surface is, uh, is reached, uh, the femur and tibial registration uh, arrays uh, are placed. These trackers uh, permit intra-op navigation. Uh, checkpoints are placed in the middle side of the tibial femur. It must be checked that the works place uh, at least 10 millimeters out of the narrow bone cuts. The next step is uh, to verify the correct surgical recognition of the extremity with hip circumferential uh, movement and palpation of uh, both distal tibial and lateral malleolus uh, and the bony checkpoints. Uh, before bone cuts, the tibial and femur uh, visual references uh, must be verified in groups of four and uh, next uh, osteophytes uh, must be removed. The intra-op uh, navigation system uh, assembles the information with a 3D model of time uh, preoperatively to give a real-time registry. I mean, this is the most important part uh, of the surgery. Uh, that permits a dynamic navigation at different knee flexion angles. This is a critical step in which the, the surgeon actively interact with the system and corroborate that the bone cuts uh, will give in adequate access with the symmetric gaps. Uh, and then the surgeon proceeds uh, with the bone cuts uh, with the robotic arm. I prefer to start uh, with the femur and end with the tibia. Uh, we are always using a safety margin during the cuts. No other guides are using at this time. Uh, femur box, uh, tibial kill, and uh, patella are done in a conventional way. With the trial components in place, the mechanical axis and uh, gaps are verified. Once again, the system permit a dynamic assessment in different flexion uh, angles. Soft tissue is balanced accordingly to maintain symmetric medial and lateral gaps. And at this time, uh, cement preparation, articular lavage, uh, infiltration soft tissue of soft tissues are done simultaneously. Uh, then I would like to present uh, our first uh, results uh, in Latin America. Uh, this is the first Latin American experience. Uh, it's a comparative study between conventional and robotic arm-assisted uh, surgery. Uh, no uh, difference regarding the demography. Uh, only uh, statistical differences in operative time that favors the conventional group and uh, in the time triangulation that favored the robotic group. Only a trend to better outcomes uh, regarding hospitalization length blood loss, blood transfusion, less pain and opioid consumption average, and increased room at one month post-op, but with no statistical significance, at least in our group. Also better mechanical alignment in the robotic group with average of 178.5 degrees. The main benefits, according to the literature, improve accuracy in implant positioning, better balancing, and at least equal or better safety procedure compared to the conventional surgery. Uh, I recommend this paper. This is the last systematic review from the group of Sebastian uh, that concluded in reduction of post of pain, decreasing analgesia requirements, 
more accurate uh, and reproducible implant positioning and cost-effective surgery with this uh, MAKO system. As a summary, I would say that mechanical alignment and implant positioning are better, as well, at least there are similar functional outcomes, range of motion and complications rates with uh, the system. And of course, further studies are required to evaluate the long-term results. Thanks so much for the attention and save the day for the next uh, ISACOS Congress in Cape Town. Thank you. Thank you very much, David. That was just terrific. <clears throat> Our next speaker is Professor Philip Naray, past president of Isacos from Lyon, France. And Philippe is going to talk to us on the surgical technique and benefits of the Navio for total knee replacement. Thank you, Philippe. Dear colleague, dear friends, I am particularly glad to share with you today some ideas about surgical techniques and benefits of Navio for TKA. I want to first thank Miles Culligan and Sébastien Lustig for inviting me, and also Cécile Bataillé and uh, Sébastien for sharing some slides with me. I have some potential conflict of interest with United, but also Smith's nephew. Few words about the timeline. The story started in 2012 with the European commercial launch of the Navio. In Lyon, we started in 2013 with the Navio and the uni prosthesis. In uh, 2014, it was extended to the patellofemoral arthroplasty. And in 2016, the FDA clearance was obtained for the indication of TKA. A full market release for the TKA and the, the Navio system was done in 2017. 400 robotic UKA were, were implanted in Lyon since 2013 and Sébastien Lustig did the first robotics TKA in 2018. Note that I left the department in 2017. Now, there are three main steps in the surgical procedure. The registration first, the planning and the execution. This is an image-free handle robot. So that we start with a bone morphing as in a conventional navigation system. And then this is the planning. The planning is made on the screen and we decide at this step to choose the size of the implant, the location, the orientation and the level of the cuts and uh, we do that for the femur and for the tibia. We can anticipate what will be the joint line and moreover, what will be the expected residual laxity during the full range of motion. If we are not satisfied with this anticipated residual laxity, we can then decide to modify the positioning of the implant. 
then we can decide if we will use a guide or just the burr. And we can place the guide according to the, uh, the planning. Then, in this case, we decided to use a burr. We can remove the bone using the burr that acts or retracts according to our planning. We can do so for the femur and then for the tibia. Once the bone are prepared, we can place the triole implants and we can check if there is a full range of motion and what is the residual laxity. We can cement or not the implant and we obtain excellent positioning of the implant, as you can see on this postoperative control X-ray. The accuracy of the positioning was assessed on cadaveric study, including 18 knees, and was confirmed the reliability in the TK positioning without any outliers. Also, the radiological results were assessed on a case control study. And Bolas and Janssen show that we can achieve the planned mechanical axis in TKA with very few outliers. We developed this new handle piece in the Cori system, and there is a very nice hardware and a new software. So this is a promising technology with promising new indication like big research retaining TKA, but of course we need more investigation. With Sébastien Lustig, we uh, uh, wrote a chapter about robotics in the new edition of knee surgery. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Philippe. It was very comprehensive. Um, and now uh, we will have uh, Professor John Kyun Seon from uh, Chonam National University Hospital uh, in Korea. And uh, we have a terrific you know, experience also with robotic and who's going to talk to us about uh, uh, a different system. John Kyun, thank you for being there. Thank you, Sebastian, and all members for having me this wonderful webinar. Today, I'm going to talk about the Think Surgical Robot, Robotic Totally Astroplastic. As you know, Robodog is the first robot introduced into Totally Astroplastic, and it has been used more than 10 years. This robot system is the autonomous control CD-based open platform system. So this slide shows uh, pre-operative planning. We set the mechanical axis of the femur, then set the rotational axis plus the transepicondylar axis. Now we can choose the ideal size of the femoral component and cutting amount of the bone. So we check the amount of the cutting bone in the, this software. Then we do same process for choosing ideal size of the 
TBR component and rotation of the TBR alignments. So at the final step, we can confirm the final alignment using virtual surgery. So after robot fixation to the patient bone, we do anatomical point verification of the distal femur first, then perform the verification process to match CD image to patient bone. Then we do the same process on the tibia uh, proxima. After complete to registration, robot starts to the cutting bone from the distal femur. Then anterior chamber. So actually this system is quite different from Nabio Rosa system. So we cannot move the patient bone during whole robotic process. So after a complete milling of the uh, Femur, then we are doing the same process on the tibial bony cut. So after robot out, we have to remove the extra bone, then do the soft tissue balancing using by manual technique. After insertion of trial components, so we can check the pole extension and flexion, then we fix the final component using cement. Then we can check the patellofemoral tracking using tower clip technique. So let's look at the clinical outcomes of robotic total astroplasty. We reported excellent clinical outcomes after four-year follow-ups compared with the conventional total astroplasty. But no difference between two ribs, as you can see in this slide. So we also reported long-term survival study comparing RoboDuck and conventional total astroplasty after 10-year follow-ups. We compared more than 150 cases of totally astroplasty in both groups, as you can see in this flowchart. So this is the results. Uh, so we could not find any difference in functional outcomes after 10-year follow-ups. The survival rate also no difference. In both groups, so the survival rate was more than 98%. So in summary, Think surgical robotic system is the first robot system enable surgeon to perform measured resection totally astroplasty. That is the still gold standard technique in totally astroplasty. And it has provided a good alignment and excellent functional outcome and survival as well for last 10 years. But the problem is it cannot provide information regarding soft tissue balancing like Marco or Navio system. Two limitation for, to overcome of this limitation, they are developing new QBIS system to provide gap balancing totally astroplasty by combination of robot and navigation system. This system is available only in Korea right now, but uh, available in the world soon. Thank you for your attention.
Thank you, John Kuhn. Most enjoyable and very nice to receive data that's 10 years old on robots. It's the oldest data I think we have. Um, so next up is uh, Chair of the Isacost and the Arthroplasty Committee, uh, my friend and colleague, Sebastian Lustig from France. Sebastian is going to talk to us on uh, robotic partial knee replacement, a slam dunk. Okay, so th this talk is, uh, I would like to try to show you why I believe that partial knee replacement uh, uh, is an excellent indication for robotic uh, technology. So why? Because I think even more than for total knee, you know, we have to be perfect when we're doing a partial knee replacement. And when you look at this, you know, example, that's the, the Olympic final, you see that's one of the best, you know, uh, guy in the world to try to reach the center of the target and even him sometimes is missing the target so if even if you are a really good surgeon sometimes we miss a little bit the alignment the contact point sizing the joint line so so we definitely when we are a great surgeon all of us we need some some tool to help us for that so we have two two options we have discussed a couple of the uh, different systems available but the the, the ones with uh, let's say the, the more you know, experience and feedback are the, the, the Navio and the, the Mekos have been presented to you uh, regarding, you know, totally application. The portionally applications are a little bit different. You can see one is image free based on bone morphing, you know, and the other one is image based based on the pre-op CT scan for the planning. Then you have uh, intra-op data about, you know, uh, uh, ligament tension. You can decide where the joint line is, how you want to you know, restore the gaps and position the implant. And then you let the robotic arm uh, do the rest. You have a very nice, you know, paper from, uh, from Paris that team uh, summarizing this different technique recently published. The first question is about the accuracy. And uh, actually this uh, nice cadaveric study compared the different systems and showed that every system, every robotic system is more accurate for portion replacement compared to conventional. So that there's no, no question about that. The accuracy of the, the, the bony preparation uh, is better with these smart tools, whatever the technique you're using and you, you're trying, you prefer to use. But this graph is slightly more interesting. That's a study we've done with the team uh, in Switzerland from uh, Tilman Kellis and Bernd Christensen. And we compared conventional technique with, you know, uh, image-free technique, the Navio here, and CT scan based technique, the MECO. And that's about accuracy and uh, how we restore the, the, the right size regarding the components. And you can see here uh, with the mechanical, we, we tend to do some significant mistake here. With the Navio, it's definitely better, but we still miss some part of the planning or some parts of the restoring the anatomy. And when you have using an image based, looks like you, you're more accurate for every parameter. So uh, regarding this study, image-based are slightly more accurate talking about restoring the anatomy. The other question we have is about the safety. And uh, we did a, a study about the, the first 300 cases uh, to, to look at the safety with some specific risk, specific complication. And actually in our practice, we had no specific complication uh, to the robotic system regarding the, the navigation pins, infection rates, or complication due to robotic drilling. No, no specific complications. Regarding the X-rays we get, again, that's in line with the cadaveric study. We, we were more accurate regarding restoring the joint line or every parameter regarding implant position. 
there, there was less outlier with the robotic technology. But the, the real question, and we could see that uh, in, uh, in the question and answer uh, from this webinar, is about outcome. You know, so does it really mean that this technique is allowing smaller incision, you know, less bony resection, less bone loss, limited pain? Is it really true? Faster recovery, imp improved survivorship? That's open questions. When you look at the, the recently published paper uh, and systematic review about this technology, it does show more accurate and more reproducible uh, uh, bony preparation when it's performed with a robot compared to manually. And the potential of better functional outcome is still an open question. And we really don't know if this is going to translate into improved implant survival to mid or longer term. That, that still needs to be proved. So I, I looked at the, the big series, you know, the, the real numbers. You have this nice paper uh, with more than 10,000 patients in each group. And they did find some, you know, better survivorship at short term compared to a conventional, but it's at one year follow-up. So not really long-term or mid-term data. Another nice study about 250 cases compared to 500 uh, manual case. And again, reduced revision, uh, revision rates with robotic uni. Uh, but again, this was a two-year product, so still short-term. Really nice data, and I, I'm pretty sure Stephen is going to talk to us more in details, is the, from the Australian registry, of course. And with more than 3,000 cases uh, in this uh, registry from last year, showed that you know, the survival rate, revision rate, sorry, was uh, better for robotic UK compared to uh, uh, non-robotic UK, a three-year follow-up with reduced revision rate for implant loosening, progression of disease, residual pain, fracture, but some increased revision for infection compared to non-robotic UA. So that's an uh, interesting point. St still need to understand why, because it's not something found in, the, in other studies, but it's, uh, it's raising some, some good question. And we need to look, of course, to the longer term data to see if this is still confirmed. Another very interesting point, and I, I love that, is compartmental surgery. And I think that this is really challenging. And this technology is allowing us, and at least allowing me to, you know, think about more indication for, uh, you know, different solution when we're talking about knee replacement. And I think this robotic technology is opening some new doors uh, from uh, these interesting options. So in summary, robotic UK is city-based versus image-free. You have to make a decision. There are some evidence-based uh, benefit for implant positioning, accuracy, reproducibility. That's a smart tool for compartmental surgery. And, but the fact that uh, improved implant outcome and survival are allowed by this technology still needs to be confirmed. Thanks a lot for your attention. And I think it's going to be my pleasure uh, also to introduce the next uh, speaker, uh, who's going to be David, David Parker. Uh, with David has a lot of experience about you know navigation and every kind of a smart tool for surgery, and I'm sure he's going to give us some very nice uh, insights about uh, uh, how you know robots can change our practice. David, thank you, Sebastian, and thank you to yourself and Miles and Sam, and the ISACOS Knee Committee for the invitation to this uh, very interesting webinar. These are my disclosures. I don't have any personal relationship with any of the companies mentioned today, but we do get some uh, research and fellowship support. So this is more of a philosophical discussion as to how robots are gradually coming into my practice. And 
to explain where I currently am, I need to go back to sort of where I've been in the past and how I've got there. So I'm in Sydney, Australia, in private and public practice, and I do just knee surgery, about half of which is arthroplasty, mostly 90, about 90% or more total knee replacement. So it's about 300 arthroplasties a year, and they're all either navigated or robotic currently. And I've routinely used navigation since about 2006. I use it for all my arthroplasties and osteotomies. So I've probably done about 4,000 arthroplasties with navigation. And the majority are using a Smith and Nephew implant, but with a different navigation system from Stryker, the precision navigation system. And navigation in Australia has been fairly well up, taken up. It's about one third of all um, total knee replacements currently. And I started using navigation for a number of reasons. I felt that it was more accurate. It reduced the outliers. It gave me assistance with the balancing, which I think improves function. It gave real-time feedback during the procedure. Uh, if you use an image-based system, it can help with implant sizing and positioning. There are certain aspects of patient safety and morbidity. There's registry data showing better survival. I've used it as a research tool. And there's minimal downside from my point of view, all of the complications that are mentioned are very rare if you have experience with this. And we've done a number of research studies using navigation and showing the benefits of navigation. So as a background, I think it's fair to say that I'm very much a navigation enthusiast and that will tend to affect your interpretation of new technology. So then came the robots. And robots emerged over the last few years in Australia, uh, the Mako, and the Navio came around about the same time, Uni's in about 2015 and Total's in the last two or three years and Rosa more recently. And I'm sure Stephen Graves will go through this data in a bit more detail, but there's been a general uptake over the last few years. And of course, then came the advertising. And so in Sydney in particular, we were seeing advertisements on websites, uh, on television programs, in the newspapers. And so when this happens as a surgeon, you sort of see that this is happening in your community, in your surgery, and you're wondering whether you should jump on this bandwagon or whether you should just continue what you're doing. So I was at a point where I was currently very comfortable with navigation-assisted total nerve placement. I knew from our data that we were getting good proms. I knew from my registry data, I had a low revision rate. We've done studies on satisfaction showing this was good. We had minimal complications and a fairly efficient process. And we've previously done research looking at other supposedly amazing innovations such as PSI and we published studies showing that it's not quite as good as everybody said it was going to be. So why would I bother to move to robots? And I think we need to look at the motivations that we have when we change our practice. And the good motivations are that we should be trying to improve patient outcomes. And we may also be trying to improve our practice efficiencies, but without compromising patient care. The worst motivations are for just trying to increase our business or if you're just feeling that you need to keep up with other people who are making themselves very prominent by using robots. And so if your current practice is working, I think it's very important to think carefully about change and what I'm trying to achieve by doing it. And I hear a lot of people saying how much better their results are with robots. I think it's important to note that how much better you can be really depends on how good you are currently. So if currently, especially with now navigation, achieving precise alignment and balancing, good implant sizing and positioning, and you're careful with your surgical technique to reduce soft tissue trauma, then most of that can be achieved with navigation, especially if it's image-based and with careful surgical technique. But there needs to be an acceptance that this is clearly part of the future. So 
So the question is, when do you jump on board? So my personal motivations for robotic usage was that it was a natural progression from the navigation system that I was using. I think it could probably help me with improvements in planning for implant sizing and position because I'll be moving from the image-free to an image-based system. It can help with the balancing and the planning that we do. Uh, some of the newer alignment strategies like kinematic alignment can probably be uh, executed better with this. Surgical precision, I don't think is that much better when compared to navigation systems. It can help with data collection and research, but there's a downside. There's gonna be increased time. I would need to change my implant. I think the feedback that you get is better, is worse than some of the navigation systems. And of course, there's that disruption to a normal well-established routine. But in the end, I felt that if I was going to be able to talk to my patients in an unbiased fashion about robotics and navigation, I needed to have experience in both systems. And so I decided that I would try and choose between the Navio with my current implant or the Mako with a new implant. So we did our due diligence. And I think it's very careful where you get your data from. This is data from Strike, and not surprisingly showing wonderful outcomes. And it looks very promising, as does a lot of the literature. But if you look closely at literature, this is a very interesting study where they analyzed a lot of the literature that is available on unis, and 51% were industry funded, compared to 29% of non-robotic papers. And they're often published in less well-established journals. So be very careful about the literature that you make your decisions on. We did our own um, systematic review comparing computer and robotic uh, navigation. We published that this year. And essentially the conclusion was that there is ample evidence showing the benefits of navigation but not enough evidence just yet showing benefits of robotics over navigation. So in more due diligence, I did cadaver labs on the Navio and the Mako system. And I decided on the Mako system, I preferred the image-based side, I preferred the planning techniques, and I thought the execution was a bit more precise. But in the end, I thought they were both good systems, but I chose to go with the Mako. So my current practice is that a very small percentage of unis I do are Mako. And with my total new placements, I have two options. I can do the Legion with the Striker Precision Navigation System as I have for many years, or I can do a triathlon crucial retaining with the Mako system. And the decision depends on the patient's input, what I think is the best implant for the patient and the availability of the system. What's my personal impression of robots versus navigation? So over the last two years, I've probably done about 100 Makos versus about 500 navigator needs. I'm not really seeing a clear difference in the outcomes and we'll get some better data as time goes forward and a longer time frame and larger numbers will be more meaningful and one of my colleagues is about to establish a multi-center randomized controlled trial based in Sydney to examine this over the next few years. In my conversation with the patient I listen to any preconceptions or questions they may have, impressions they may already have about robots, I explain the pros and the cons of each system and I make a decision based on what is best for each patient and the vast majority of the time I think either option will get a good and equivalent result given the appropriate patient selection and perioperative. So who do I use robotics for? Well, patients who express an interest or a desire for robotics. There's a lot of literature showing the psychological side of patients is a very big impact on their outcome and certainly their patient expectations have been shown to have a big impact on their outcome. Patients who are suitable for a crucial retaining implant for a number of reasons. I don't like the triathlon posterior stabilized, so I use navigation for those patients who I think need a posterior stabilized implant. And then the timing and the availability will affect as well. I don't have a robotic system in the public hospital system. Has it changed my practice experience? Not greatly. I think it's just another option to discuss with a patient. 
And I think a credible unbiased discussion is possible if you have experience with all of the systems and that can be instrumented systems, navigation and robotics. I think it's very important that before you change what you currently do, you study your systems, investigate the independent evidence, you experience the systems and ask yourself, is this clearly solving a problem that I'm currently having and is it going to improve my results and most importantly, monitor results as you move forward? Thank you very much. Thanks, David. Um, as usual, very informative, very balanced. I enjoyed that talk very much. Um, and our next speaker is Chris Vitulo, Professor of Wolfpeak Surgery at Griffith University in Queensland. Um, Chris is going to talk to us on why he still prefers navigation, um, uh, the benefits and downsides of robots, including costs and complications. Now, Chris is having some trouble with screen sharing, but we're going to see how we go. Uh, Chris, good morning. Um, I'll leave it to you. Thanks, Miles, and uh, thanks very much, Sebastian and fellow panelists for what's been a fantastic discussion so far. Some of the things I'm going to talk about are a little bit uh, doubled over, but uh, hopefully I have some unique points to add. These are my declarations. So I'm really going to talk about my top five reasons why robots do not currently have a place in my clinical practice. Reason number one, as we've seen already, no data exists suggesting using robotic surgery would make my patients more satisfied or reduce my revision risk. We've already seen this uh, fantastic 10-year follow-up paper from Korea presented and discussed earlier by Jung Kong Sion, single surgeon, 700 total knees in each group, mean 13-year follow-up, mechanically aligned robot versus conventional, no difference in either functional outcomes, loosening overall survivorship and complications. Number two, I live in a country that is currently in an economic recession with its resultant uh, sustainability and healthcare issues moving forward. You look at all of our countries here, just plotting our GDP growth versus uh, increasing cost in uh, real health expenditure. Australia is above the line, but in fact, every other country there is above the line. And if I market all some of our panelists, all of our panelist countries above the line, i.e. that we're spending more on our GDP can support. And if COVID is just gonna make this worse, I've marked Australia here, we're gonna probably have between a five and 6% reduction next year and every other country is going to have the same some worse than expected i've just circled some of the countries here that represented by their panelists theater time is expensive as we've heard in fact this 10-year study i mentioned earlier from seoul 28 minutes extra now, let's assume it's an old machine but if i extrapolated that into my volume that's 140 hours extra time in the operating theater for the same t-car volume representing over half a million australian dollars per year in extra cost and that's just not taking the costs of the buying the robot the software etc and in fact some studies suggest increased costs by 26 percent 10 percent of total needs in australia now robotic this represents an additional $65 million per year in Australia currently in a strangled economic environment. Number three, as we've heard, 
Increased reliance on complex technologies result in automation complacency. This is well recognized in the aviation industry. The poor detection of system malfunctions under automation compared with manual control results in errors. There's two types of errors, complacency to performance bias. So there's a performance bias error or complacency to data error bias. Just because the robot says it's right or is doing it doesn't mean it's correct. Number four, every total knee replacement I've ever performed is being tracked in a registry as David Parker mentioned. And in Australia, this is data from Australian Joint Replacement Registry. Look at revision risk for individual surgeons. Each dot is a surgeon compared to total number of procedures. When you look at all surgeons, all prosthesis, there's a significant proportion who are outside the 99.7% confidence limits. But if you take away all the high risk prosthesis and just look at the lower risk ones, the vast majority of those outliers disappear. So performance of outcome long-term is actually based around prosthesis selection. And we've published this in KISTA. Two years ago, we looked at what's a low risk prosthesis and it's mainly not the brand, but the style. It's a minimally stabilized fixed bearing cemented tibia cross-link poly with a resurfaced patella and that decreased risk by 60% compared to the rest. Or if you use something else, it increased your risk by 150% or greater. So prosthesis selection is far more important than the robot or how you align it as such. However, it's not very exciting to talk about. It's difficult to excite people about boring prosthesis selection. Number five, no one agrees how to optimally align or balance a total knee. So why would even more precision be of any benefit? It's the accuracy versus precision. The question is, what is our target? I argue we're not even looking at it the correct probably not even in the room. Soft tissue releases are not detrimental to our patients. So why are we so focused on avoiding them? So in conclusion, Heinrich Malkart talked about a stepwise introduction of new technologies. Initial step, prospective randomized studies, multicenter studies, and then registry studies. I'd argue that we have a different situation currently we have multinational orthopedic company buys new unproven technology. Same company recruits Coles to that new technology, then commences an advertising campaign and then competitor multinational orthopedic companies buy similar, but again, unproven technologies, recruit their Coles and then commence their own advertising campaigns. I'm sure in 2020, we can find a better way. So robots do not currently have a place in my clinical practice because they're very expensive no evidence of any clinical benefit, and we are facing a increasingly non-sustainable healthcare environment. However, they're a fantastic marketing tool, as David Parker suggested, and an interesting research device as well. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Chris. Always, you know, very interesting talks and uh, showing a very balanced view on, on this, and I think it's, it's very important to to try to to be, uh, you know, uh, as you said, enthusiastic, but also to 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 remain, you know, focused on the data and what they say. So now our final speaker is uh, Stephen Graves, and uh, is the expert uh, in registry, and he will give us uh, uh, some very interesting data about uh, what the registry can tell us about this robotic technology. Stephen, thanks a lot for being with us.
Okay, well, hello everybody. It's a pleasure to be here and special thanks to the organizing committee from Isacosta asking me to present uh, the Australian data. Uh, the intention of this presentation is to provide a broad overview of the use and outcomes of uh, this technology in Australia. And uh, many of you will be aware that the Australian registry focuses uh, quite a lot of attention around operative technique and approaches uh, to implantation and has been a major source of identifying improved outcomes associated with the computer-assisted surgery. Uh, similarly, we have been keeping a very close eye on robotic surgery as it uh, has been introduced. Uh, these are my declarations of interest and I have no uh, uh, conflicts. Uh, the Australian Registry is based in South Australia. This is where we live. Uh, and we partner with the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute and the University of South Australia. Both are involved in providing quality data analysis, uh, which is independent of the AOA, uh, but also data management uh, and uh, the development of um, uh, specialized techniques with assessing registry data. Uh, David Parker presented this uh, uh, slide previously. This is uh, the use of robotic surgery in unicompartment knee replacement. Unicompartment knee replacement has declined considerably in Australia, largely because of reports from the Australian Registry from around 15% to 5% of uh, all primary total knees. Uh, robotic surgery was uh, commenced uh, in 2014 and that uh, you can see that it was quite a quick uptake uh, up to 2017 and it's remained at around 30% uh, since that time. Uh, the devices uh, that have been used or the types of robot, uh, Mako is the major ro uh, robot system for unicompartment knee and accounts for 92% of all uh, robotic use in unicompartment knee replacement in Australia. Now, if we look at the outcomes, uh, this is uh, comparing non-robotic uh, to a robotically assisted unicompartment knee. And what you can see is that there is a significant difference in that the um, robotically assisted appear to be uh, performing better. However, it's important to point out that this data is significantly confounded by the use of prosthesis and potentially surgery. Uh, I think we're all aware that uh, uh, the uptake of new technology is uh, generally undertaken by surgeons doing larger numbers of device and more experienced uh, uh, at the particular procedure they're taking up the technology in. And that is the case with uh, unicompartment knee replacement and the use of uh, robotic surgery. Uh, in addition, uh, uh, the robotic surgery has been used with one particular implant, which is also new. And so what we're assessing is the combination of the robotic surgery and the implant. And so we are unable to separate that uh, as to why that there is this benefit. But to put this in context, uh, this is compared to all unicompartment knee replacement. And when we compare robotically assisted uh, with the Restorus uh, uh, to the better performing unicompartment knees, uh, such as the Zuck, uh, the results are actually very similar. 
one of the concerns that we have had, and this uh, was uh, mentioned uh, by uh, Sebastian earlier, is that we have identified an increased rate of infection uh, uh, in Australia with the use uh, associated with the use of uh, robotic surgery in uni compartment knee replacement, and it's actually increased by double. And uh, what we do know is that this is not uniform across all units. And Sebastian mentioned that in his unit, he didn't have an increase in infection, but uh, uh, when we look uh, across the country, um, we find units that do not have an increase, but overall there is actually an increase of infection when you look at uh, national data. If we look at the use of robotic surgery for primary total knee replacement, this has only come uh, into practice uh, more recently. I was a little bit surprised uh, when I looked at this data in 2019, almost 10% of all primary uh, total knees in Australia uh, were undertaken using uh, uh, the robot. And if we look at the types of systems that have been used, the MAKO has been used in 75% of procedures, NAVIO uh, just under 20% and ROSA just under 5%. If we look at the outcomes of uh, robotic surgery compared to non-robotic, uh, we see that uh, there is again a significant improvement in associated with uh, robotic surgery, but as I mentioned for uni compartment knee replacement, this is significantly compounded by both prosthesis, surgeon, and potentially other factors such as the use of patella and so on. So uh, one of the things that uh, we were interested in, in working out uh, uh, with respect to the causes of revision uh, was whether or not infection was up in this group as well. However, we have not been able to identify an increased rate of infection associated with uh, uh, robotic surgery in primary total knee replacement, which differs from unicompartment knee replacement. So, as I mentioned, uh, total knee data may be compounded by prosthesis use. So I'm um, going to present you an analysis where we've standardized the prosthesis because uh, the MAKO has been the principal navigation system, we've uh, standardised uh, uh, the prosthesis to the triathlon and to the CR triathlon, where the patella has been uh, resurfaced. We've also compared this to normal instrumentation, navigated and robotic. The outcome is basically there is no difference between the three techniques. Uh, uh, that are used. Uh, there is a, a trend that the robotic may be slightly better than the uh, uh, navigated uh, knees, which is the green line, uh, but there is no difference to non-navigated, uh, non-robotic uh, knee replacement at this point in time. So in summary, uh, unicompartment knee replacement, we've got early results. Uh, almost all use is limited to one system and one prosthesis. And what we can say is the robot used with the restorers has satisfactory early results. It's important to understand that it is the combination that is being assessed and we haven't been able to isolate the robot uh, from the use of the restorers.
there has been concern related to the increased uh, infection uh, in unicompartment knee replacement. And it might be because unicompartment knee is usually associated with a lower rate of infection compared to total knee. So it's coming off a very low base. With respect to total knee replacement, uh, the, again, it's very early results. There is no evidence that there is a disadvantage with the use of uh, um, robotics in primary total knee, and there's no evidence of increased infection in primary total knee. Uh, just wanting to mention that uh, the registry in Australia has now moved into undertaking trials, which are registered and we're currently involved in undertaking one and the development of a second trial with robotic surgery. So thanks very much. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, wonderful data and no doubt there'll be a lot more data to come and we look forward to that. Uh, <clears throat> with that, uh, we're going to now answer some questions that have come through the Q&A segment. Uh, we did answer a handful of questions and the panelists have been busy typing away during the presentation. Um, but I'll start with uh, just a couple of questions that have come through. Um, and several people have asked, um, what uh, is the cost per case on the use of a robot? Uh, particularly given uh, Chris's fairly gloomy uh, picture of where we are with our economy in the future. Uh, perhaps I could ask um, uh, the, the Rosa user, the person who spoke on Rosa is Professor Andrew Price, an average cost, Andrew, of a, a total knee replacement done with the ROSA if we add the disposables and the amortised cost um, of the implant across the life of the robot. And then perhaps we can get the same about Think Surgical RoboDoc from John Kuhn. Um, and um, David can tell us about Mako, um, uh, please. So, so Andrew, costs. So, uh yeah, thanks, Miles. Really important question. All I can say is about the costs of the um, to us um, in our institution in using it. And of course, we're going through an assessment process. Um, so that's somewhat reduced. But if we were to continue the disposable um, uh, um, costs uh, are in the order of a few hundred pounds. Um, so that increases the, um, the cost of the against tariff um, approximately probably by about um, 8%, something like that. Um, but I haven't got any other data for you about longer term costs. Okay. So what does a robot cost to purchase if indeed the hospital that you work at does use the robot? And how many uh, cases can it be done before it needs to be uh, disposed of and a new one purchased? Well, uh, the, um, uh, the cost of these systems um, sort of varies depending on um, the, the, the commercial aspects of this. And again, I haven't been through this process. So we're using it as an assessment in a research environment. So that's different for me. But, uh, but I think if you're buying them outright, they're very expensive, but quite often these are in either lease agreements or are tied into other um, aspects of uh, procurement in say that would be the model in the UK so it, it's quite difficult to unpick what that is costing um, an individual institution I don't know what the answer to that is from a say a private hospital. John Cohen just in American dollars the cost per patient uh, for the think surgical robot I can't uh, you're you. mute you're mute you're mute you're mute 
the, the disposable cost is different from hospital to hospital, but in our hospital is about thousand US dollars for disposable cost. Thank you. And um, Philippe Nerey, the Navio cost per patient? No, no, no. It's, it's very difficult. Navigation. Robot is taught disposable cost is about thousand US dollars. Thank you. Uh, Philippe? Yes, I cannot answer precisely, but just uh, the cost for the different uh, uh, single use uh, uh, device is several hundred euro and after it's really adapted to the volume you are doing because if you are high volume surgeon they provide you the robot for free but if not it can cost a lot in the hospital I think uh, uh, Sebastian could confirm we bought the robot for a relatively low, low price but it was 300,000 euro something like this and after you have to divide by the number of your prosthesis you are doing but it's a uh, it's expensive, and in some places, it uh, costs close to one million dollars. The same uh, robot, so it's very difficult to understand. Thanks, Philippe. Now, David, you're you're muted there. Thank, uh, thank you. Uh, the Mako, and then I'm going yes, uh, to to Sam Seti to ask some questions. And and uh, regarding the Mako system, uh, is uh, more or less three hundred US dollars. The extra cost, but uh, you have to consider also the cost of the CT scan for the patient. But uh, I work in a private hospital, and in, in our case, a specific case, uh, the the private hospital made a special agreement with the company, and they lowering the value of the implant. So uh, in our patients, they don't they doesn't pay any extra value for the implant or for the surgery. Okay, thanks. Thanks, David. Before I hand it over to Sebastian for some questions, Mike just might quickly show us the results of the polling. Oh, Mike, thank you. That was very efficient. So <clears throat> it looks like 73% of our audience have never used a robot um, and 70% use a conventional knee replacement. So we're, we're really introducing new technology. Uh, that, that's terrific, Mike. Thank you for that. Sam, over to you. Thanks very much, Miles. Um, there's, there's a great question come through in the uh, Q&A, which is really about how we differentiate between the different types of robots that we've had presented. Uh, and so, um, you know, each of the speakers perhaps could tell a little, but to my mind, there are, there are three parts to this, that there's the information that the software system gives you, both on bone morphology and soft tissue uh, balance uh, and laxity, then it's how that allows or drives you to change your interoperative plan. Uh, and then ultimately the precision it allows you in, in changing that plan and transforming it onto the patient. And I think what's very interesting is, is each system does that slightly differently. So um, if I ask Mark Clatworthy, first of all, because he was presenting something which essentially is navigation, so far as I can tell, yes. is there anything that you think you could gain? I mean, your series is wonderful. Is there anything that you think you would have to gain by adopting one of these newer systems? I think Sam is kind of probably more precise at the moment. We're actually modeling how accurate it is. And we're, if you look at my having to recap the tibia on average once, the femur 0.75 and my rotation 0.65. So it's not necessarily as accurate with the navigation system. I'm hoping with the robot will be more precise. Whether it'll affect the outcome, time will tell. So, and that's clearly the ultimate goal to try and improve outcomes for patients. But I don't think any of us know whether these systems are going to do that. Um, I agree. 
Yeah, I don't think the data is out there yet. Which brings me on to Willem um, and his presentation where he really detailed lots of trust issues he had with the system. So, so Willem, how do you overcome those trust issues? Uh, and can I ask why you keep using it? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's I think it's more accurate. I think we can uh, we can do it. The problem is when I I did a lot of ligament balancing, and if you rotate the so what force are we applying when we we assessing the ligaments? The force is just as important. I mean, what we we don't we don't uh, we measure in millimeters, but we don't measure the force. And if you rotate the tibia, the forces are all over the place. So what I do is I I still use sort of a, a hybrid between mechanical and this. I now do, and I think I think it's more accurate. But I uh, I, I don't the ligament balancing. So we, we've done it in cadavers and you, and you cut five, 10 millimeters of the robot, then you put a, a, a spreader in and it says you're opening 14. So where did the other four come from? I think we've all seen that. These numbers just don't add up. So I think it's much better with bony morphology. So I trust the bone, but I, I keep checking them. But I do think that the, the, the future is going to get better and better. But like all of us, we worry that if companies are driving this, I think we're in trouble. And this should be driven by surgeons. And at the moment, we have to say that it's perhaps not experimental, but this is not available to everybody. It's not available to all our members. So I think we just have to be a bit cautious. Fair enough. And thanks very much for that answer. So I think we've got two different systems there. One navigation where you get some good information out and perhaps allows you to alter your plan. But maybe there's some precision lacking uh, and then uh, a system which has a little bit more precision because clearly the tool can be navigated as well. If we move on to Andy, uh, Andy Price and the Rosa system where you're still using your manual sword to effect the cuts through the robotically placed cutting yeah. chip. One of the things that impressed me a great deal with a robotic saw was the reduction in post-operative morbidity that I saw. And I wonder if you've seen a change in your patient's early outcomes by using the ROSA? So um, the ROSA system doesn't have that kind of haptic cutting kind of feedback. This is a, a patient-driven um, system from the actual cutting bit. So the, the advantages to ROSA as we see it, and again, we're looking at it very much from a kind of research side, trying to, to understand these things, are about accuracy, um, about repeatability, but also this feedback you get and the system allowing you to be able to get data back about laxity um, and try to understand how you're going to put the knee replacement in. With regard to the um, early outcomes, um, uh, we've seen some, um, uh, we would say marginal improvement in early outcome, but it's very um, uh, hard to, to measure that. And I think one of the um, issues I've always said is that in most randomized controlled trials, if not all randomized controlled trials of one knee replacement system against another, there are hardly any that have ever shown a difference, um, whichever way you look at it. It's partly to do with the outcome measures that we use um, because knee replacement in itself is very successful. So the early outcome bit um, is going to be difficult. I mean, so there are some studies that um, show that you get less pain with um, sort of robotic system, um, but you know we, we it's interesting in uni. Um, so with a uh, for us all our patients go home as day cases. We're at ninety percent day case at the moment, so pain doesn't seem to be an issue for them in a non-robotic system. So 
it's it, I think we need more measurement, we more mean more data, we need more assessment. Um, exciting technology, but there's a long way to go, I think, in getting this information. Definitely need more meaningful outcomes. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. I'll hand over to Sebastian. I think Sebastian's got some more questions. Yeah, yeah, Sam, thanks. Uh, I, I have a question for, uh, for David, David Parker. Uh, you mentioned that uh, if we're talking about alternative alignment, uh, robotic might be the, an interesting tool. Can, can you give us a little bit more thought about that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, a whole other discussion, Sebastian, you know, the kinematic and the constitutional and the mechanical alignment. And again, I think it's one of those areas where we're still coming towards a, an answer, uh, but not quite there yet, if we look at the results objectively. But I think if, you, if you're a believer in trying to match someone's anatomy and reproduce that, then I think an image-based system, which certain robotic systems are, Will allow you to plan that and execute that much better. Uh, you can still do it with a navigator system, and I, I tend to do uh, a kinematic uh, system with batteries where I'm using navigator or robotics. Uh, but I just found that with the image-based system, because everybody's anatomy is very different. There's a lot of people quite similar, but there's a huge spread, as I think someone had in one of their talks. I think if you believe in trying to reproduce that, then the image-based get with some of the robotic systems allows you to do that and see the effect so yeah i think it's it's a, it's a planning and an implementation that you can do with the robots if, if you're trying to do that i think if you're just trying to do pure mechanical alignment and work to that same formula every time i think there's limited benefit really in a robotic over navigation okay and to, in the the same you know um same idea, uh, John Kuhn. You you presented you know some data about ten-year follow-up, and in your talk, you mentioned that uh, with the the system you've been analyzed, there was no ligament assessment. It was purely based on the, on the bony uh, uh, measurements, so measured resection technique. And that now you have a new system coming, uh, who is going to be who is going to allow us to assess the ligament. Can you also give us maybe some more details about that? Uh, actually, correct company are developing new generation of uh, Robodoc system. They combined uh, Robodoc system and navigation system. So it's quite same as Marco system. But the only difference is uh, we cannot move the leg during whole process. So during the Marco procedures, we can move the leg during the procedures. But the main difference between new Robodoc and Marco system is uh, we cannot move the leg during the uh, robot procedure. That's the main difference, but the principle is uh, quite same as Marco system. And do, do you think that the fact that you cannot find any difference at tenure with the uh, Robodoc is because you know it's a uh, previous generation and you, you think that with the new generations, we might be able to find a different answer uh, as this, this question? So maybe, so I think two main reasons of no difference is uh, the one reason is the small sample size because all the conventional totally astroplasty showed excellent survival rate. That's why we need more cases uh, to confirm the final decision. And uh, I think uh, second generation robot 
can make some difference from conventional totally astroplasty in terms of survival rate. Okay. Mice, you have some uh, some additional questions for the rest of the panelists? You unmute. Uh, yes, uh, uh, there are several questions that have come through, Sebastian, about radiation dose and, and the question of um, how much radiation is there for a simple set of plane films uh, with the rows of the CT scanning. Can perhaps Andrew and yourself answer that as someone who likes a CT versus uses a system that takes plane films? Hi, yeah, Miles, just, I mean, simply the ROSA, if you use the 2D system, it's just um, uh, two plain X-ray shots. So the X-ray um, dose is very low, um, like an RSA film. And, and with the CT My, scan? Yes? Uh, yes, like... excuse me. Uh, no, David, uh, regarding that, the, that question, uh, I, I did a revision about the radiation uh, of CT scan uh, in, in MAKO system is, uh, 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 is 4.8 uh, millisieverts. That's the equivalent to 48 X-rays. So uh, uh, it's, uh, it's not uh, so low. And uh, the, the USA uh, uh, FDA system uh, says that uh, uh, over uh, uh, 100 uh, uh, millisievert, you are in risk of developing uh, uh, cancer. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the doses is so low with the X-ray. Okay, that's, that's terrific. Thank you for that, David. So well, we've got an answer to the question about radiation dose. It's clearly quite significant if you use a CT scan and not so significant if you use plain films. Um, we are over time, well and truly over time, um, with our Q&A component. Uh, Dr. Lustig, Dr. Ascetic, do, do you have any parting comments that you'd like to share? Sam, you want to start? Oh, only the, the, the thing I think we probably haven't touched on too much is, is what wonderful research tools these things are, uh, in so much as they do allow you to very accurately execute a plan according to whichever alignment philosophy you want to, uh, you want to follow. <laughs> And so it does give us the opportunity to compare things in a way that we haven't been able to before. So from that point of view alone, I, I think they're, they're a valuable addition. Whether they're ready for you know, mass distribution and, and prime time, uh, I think that's still to be proven, but uh, they're definitely a great research tool. Yeah, if, if I can add a few words on that, I, I fully agree that the data we can get from the systems, especially the ones when you have uh, pre-op imaging, is going to provide us fantastic you know, opportunity to, to improve maybe what, the understanding of what we do. And I think that's Willem who said that the data are crucial. And uh, maybe you know, in the, the future, we're going to be able to use that with some kind of artificial intelligence to uh, improve you know, again our understanding and improve what we, we can uh, provide for our patients. We'll see. Miles, you have the, the final words? Thank, thank you, Sebastian. Um, it's with much gratitude that I thank our panelists for this webinar for their insightful contributions and I trust you the audience found it enjoyable. Um, we will try and answer some of the remaining Q&As. Our panelists have worked very hard uh, during the talk to answer Q&As and there's a few more to come which we'll try and answer in, in the next couple of minutes. Uh, please watch for an email with information about the recording of this webinar and your um, certificate of attendance and please join us on November 25th for an ISACOS ESCA 
joint webinar on acute meniscal lesions and repair. Um, I'd like to thank our webinar sponsors, Synthes and Zimmer Biomet. Thank you to all who've attended today's webinar. I'll hand you back to the ISACOS office with a few reminders and have a wonderful day. Thanks and good morning.